Hello, and welcome to episode 25 of the Mo Money Podcast. I'm your host, Jessica Morehouse. Thank you so much for joining me today. Very excited to interview my next guest. His name is John Robertson. He is the author of the book, The Value of Simple, all about index fund investing. And if you remember, if you listened to my episode with Barry Choi, he's the one who actually suggested that I take a look at John's book. And I did. I read it, loved it. It definitely was a great way to really understand the fundamentals of index investing. So I'm very excited to talk to him about that today. Before I get to that interview, though, I do want to uh, share that this episode is sponsored by Manulife. And they're actually doing this really cool campaign right now for the, about next week or so. It's called Life Ready or hashtag Life Ready on Twitter and Instagram. And it's all about finding out whether you are financially ready for those unexpected and expensive moments in your life. And so you can find out, oh, do I need life insurance? Do I need disability insurance? I'm going to say probably yes. So if you want to find out how ready you are and what ways you need to improve in your life, make sure to take this really cool quiz. It's in the show notes, momoneymohouses.com slash 25. And you can find out exactly what areas that you need some help in, or maybe you're just rocking it and you're doing awesome. I did pretty well myself. Just going to say I scored an 85 out of 100. So that's kind of like an A. And on that note, let's talk about investing. Thanks, John, for joining me on the show today. I appreciate you coming over. Thanks for having me. No problem. Uh, so let's dive in. When At what point in of your life, did you become interested in money and personal finance and, and then I guess eventually investing? Well, I, I got to say that I've been interested in money and personal finance pretty much my entire life, like mm-hmm. earning allowance and taking it down to the local at the time Canada Trust branch and throwing it into a junior account and oh, wow. watching those pennies add up. And uh, my dad is very into investing, so I got to credit him with a lot for helping me to get into money, get into investing. Like even at a young age, he was like, no, you go and talk to the bank advisor and you negotiate your GIC rate yourself at like 12. Oh my God. That's a You had a GIC yeah. at 12? Yep. Are you kidding me? That's amazing. Yeah. <laughs> I, as soon as I hit the $500 minimum at the time to get a GIC, oh my God. I went and got one. Yeah. Okay. That explains a lot. <laughs> <laughs> um, so that's awesome. That explains a lot. And I love that. And I guess... Um, so you, you, we were talking before I hit the record button that you've had your blog for how many years do you think? Uh, it's coming up on about 17 years or so. Yeah. You win the medal for longest personal. It, it's so blog, long. I, I don't even know the exact yeah, date. Exactly. That's crazy. <laughs> now, um, thankfully you can't read most of that. Cause that, if you do the math on yeah. my age, that goes back to high school. Nobody needs to read Rita no. in high school. Do you still have those posts floating around? Are there, there? Uh, yeah, actually my computer blew up the other day. So I got a chance to dig through all my backup drives <laughs> and found them there. So they're not uh, online anymore, but they yeah. are archived somewhere. They're somewhere. Yeah. So you can refer back to them. Yes. <laughs> Just for kicks. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> um, so has your blog, I'm just curious, has your blog evolved, I guess, quite a bit? Like, did you always talk about investing? No, or? not at all. Uh, actually, that started mostly around 2008, uh, just before things started getting really exciting. Yeah, no, that was a crazy world. time, for sure. Uh, that's when I started talking about investing on the blog. And before that, it was focused on like video games and net neutrality and issues of that sort, uh, talking about hybrid cars. So oh, wow. it's, it's a personal blog and the, right. just my interests have kind of 
shifted over the years. And at the moment, it's largely personal finance. Mm-hmm. I will still put up the odd post about, you know, my kitty cat yeah. or politics or what have you. Yeah, but, I'm sorry that you lost your cat, Oh, by thank the way. you for that. And yeah, hopefully it's a distant memory by the time this goes live <laughs> yes, on the site. Yes, of course. Um, curious also, where did this name Holy Potato come from? <laughs> so that dates way back to high school. Um, <laughs> back to some of those in-jokes that you have with your high school friends that don't make any sense to anyone in the outside world. Mm-hmm. Uh, so I was born and raised in Toronto, mm-hmm. but my parents come from Prince Edward Island and I would go back to Prince Edward Island for like a month at a time mm-hmm. uh, in the summers to visit all my relatives and hang out there with my parents and whatnot. And uh, my friends would be like, you're gone all summer. Like, what are you out there on the island worshiping the holy potato of the <laughs> you know, island people and whatnot? And uh, it just kind of stuck. That's amazing. That makes, yeah, okay, I could see that. <laughs> um, okay, so you have this blog, you get into investing. What kind of motivates you to, you know, okay, I'm going to write a book? Because that's like a big thing to sit down and do. And how long did it take you to write it? Oh, it's painful to say. Uh, I added it all up very approximately, and it came out to somewhere around 800 to 1,000 hours for everything. Oh, my gosh. And, and like, did it take you several years? or? Uh, that was over the span of about eight months. Wow. Wow. So that's that, that was busy. using up a lot of uh, vacation days from work, Yeah, using up a lot of weekends and evenings and yeah. burning the midnight oil and... Yeah. Just getting her done. Wow. And it seems very popular. As I mentioned to you earlier um, off the show, I was trying to find your book. I had it and then I I wanted to finish it uh, last night and then I forgot it at work. And I'm like, oh, crap, maybe the library will have it. And there was like 20 copies and they were all out. I'm like, damn it. (laughs) Yeah. It's pretty exciting. I really like seeing that logging into oh, the yeah, library. That's awesome. I, I check like every week at least to see how of many course. holds are on it. I'm like, yes, every copy's out. It's amazing. Enjoy do you get, it, do you get of lots Toronto. of questions from readers that are like, they want more information or thank you for outlining how the hell I do index fund investing? Uh, I do. Uh, the sort of questions have sort of trickled off now. I'm, mm-hmm. The first couple readers, I think, were a lot more engaged. People bought it like right when it was released because mm-hmm. even though there were fewer copies out there, I was getting more questions. Mm-hmm. And these days, even though sales have started to pick up a little bit, I'm getting fewer questions. Okay. But, maybe yeah, maybe it just means in. you've explained everything in the book and they were like, all right, I get it. I hope so. And I also put up some clarifying things on the website under errata to help people a little bit for parts where I was a little bit confusing in the book too. Mm-hmm. So for uh, listeners who may not know um, what your book is about, it's called The Value of Simple. Do you want to kind of explain some of the key points that you uh, talk about in the book? Sure. So the book is focused on how you get started investing. So there's lots and lots out there about investing in different ways, why you should invest a certain way, how to you know really get into the nitty gritty of evaluating stocks and evaluating ETFs and which one is better than the other and trying to really optimize things. And that can lead to a lot of analysis paralysis for people. So what I wanted to do with this book was make a book where people could just pick it up learn and at the end actually go out there and start investing. So mm-hmm. it talks about index funds, which I like first off for theoretical reasons that mm-hmm. they should do better than active funds for mm-hmm. uh, holding back fees. But I'm not a huge zealot on that front. Like if someone wants to go active investing, you know, go nuts. And by I'm not active gonna... investing, what do you mean? Oh, sorry. By active yeah. investing, I mean picking winners and losers in the stock market or bond market, uh, trying to time the markets, all these different ways, focusing on one particular class of stocks, uh, trying to do value investing. Mm-hmm. Uh, all of these can work for some people, but I think most people 
will find that these are very difficult strategies to pull off in practice, and it's very difficult to find people that will do them for them at a price that makes sense. So mm-hmm. they're not going to get value from advisors or managers if they're paying them two and a half, three percent for some of these mutual funds that are out there. Mm-hmm. Um, it's very difficult to overcome that kind of fee. So instead, if you look at a low cost way of investing with uh, index funds, first off, it's a lot easier. You don't have to try to pick these winners. You just go for a tried and true mm-hmm. strategy that's going to get you good enough returns to meet your goals. And then you can go back to your life. Mm-hmm. Um, And then also try to focus on how to get people there. Mm -hmm. Explain in great detail. How do you invest? Where do you even click on your online platform to put a trade in? Which is exactly what I was so thankful when I was reading the book and how I got introduced uh, to the book was Barry Choi, who I had on the podcast. Um, And we talked about index fund investing and DIY investing. And I told him, like, this is all great that you're saying this, but how do I just do it? Like, I just need a guide because sometimes I'm just like, you know, I'm uh, there's kind of information overload. I just want to go into my computer and just log into something. And how do I do it? He's like, you're going to have to read this book called Value of Simple because there's like screenshots and it's like, click here. And I'm like, this is exactly what I need. So thank you. Oh, you're quite <laughs> welcome and welcome to everyone who reads it. I hope you enjoy it. I hope you all find it useful. Absolutely. And so that's exactly <laughs> why I wrote it because I would send my other friends, um, you know, I'd say, Hey, I'm investing. You should be investing too. Uh, you know, but as they're graduating, getting jobs and I was still stuck in grad school and Mm -hmm. they were Mm -hmm. having money to invest. I said, you should start investing. And I would, you know, give them some books. I'd say, here's uh, you know, wealthy barber, or here's something else to kind of get you interested in personal finance. And then here's something else to get you interested in investing. Like uh, one of the John Bogle books on common sense investing, something Mm -hmm. like that. And they'd say, okay, great. Uh, I see the appeal of this index investing strategy. So I got to go out and get some index funds. How do I get an index fund? Yes. Like, there's another book out there. There's several that are like hundreds and hundreds of pages long, just yeah. hammering home the idea of why index funds. Yeah. But, but not how. But not how. And so that's what I wanted to focus on here is, you know, filling in that gap of how do you actually open mm-hmm. a brokerage account or open a mutual fund account? How do you actually get money into it? How do you buy a mutual fund and put it into a TFSA or RSP to shelter it from tax. If you're out of room, how do you report on your taxes? Mm-hmm. Uh, and even down to like little things like um, my very simple personal plan for mm-hmm. my financial plan. Mm-hmm. I've seen lots of books uh, that said your financial plan should include, and it's a little bulleted list. Yeah. And I've never actually seen someone else's financial plan yeah. unless I wanted to pay for one from a planner. And I exactly. Was like, okay, well... You know, I'm going to do it yourself guy. So this is what my plan is. I'm going to share my exact plan with everyone and then they can sort of see what, you know, and it's slightly, it is simplified so that it, Mm -hmm. you know, is relatable, but like, that's pretty much my plan. And so that helps give people an idea of what should go in there, not just as a bullet list, but like, okay, let me delete the values for John and put in my own. And how am I going to actually use my plan? Because everyone talks, well, your plan's important, but how do you use it? It's like, well, when the market starts crashing, pull out your plan. Yeah, (laughs) (laughs) exactly. It's a plan for a reason. (laughs) Exactly. No, that's awesome. Especially since I think the one, like I love reading personal finance books, but I do find a lot of them, yeah, explain the why or, you know, in case you didn't know, but then you're like, okay, well, this sounds great. I'd like to implement this. And it, it, then there's like nothing. And I think that's kind of the thing with personal finance as well. 
you know, it's one thing to educate yourself for sure, but it's also another to actually do like, there's a lot of talking and like, what is and thinking involved, but it's hard to really do it. Cause once you do it, then that's when, you know, the glory happens. I mean, I'm so glad that what's funny that you mentioned in the book, you kind of mentioned a couple of different um, ways you can go about index fund investing. And honestly, I didn't even realize that I was doing it when I first started investing. I did invest in um, index funds through ING direct, which is now called tangerine back in, I don't know, 2010 when I, you know, had a little bit of money to put aside into investing. And I'm so glad I just, you know, I read a bunch of books. And I'm like, you know what? I'm just going to do it. And it did take a little bit of time because I didn't really know what I was doing. So it took me a little bit longer than I'm sure it should have. But I did it and I'm glad because, you know, now it's 2015. I'm like, I'm glad because all that money is grown. If I hadn't, if I just like put it off, put it off, put it off and then not done it, I would have been like kicking myself right now. So I think it's really important to, yeah, put that information into action in this book definitely helps you get there. Great. Thank you. And, uh, <laughs> you know, speaking of tangerine, that's actually where the title comes from. Cause, I, cause I, yeah, I do focus on three particular ways of going about it. And I try to differentiate those by saying they're trade-offs. Mm-hmm. So tangerine is the most expensive way that I suggest. And, and by expensive, I mean that ongoing management expense ratio or the fees yeah. that are taken off the top, uh, for your, uh, investing pleasure. Um, then there's TDE series, mm-hmm. which is a little bit more complex to implement than Tangerine, mm-hmm. but cheaper. Yeah. And then there are using ETFs, exchange traded funds, which are the cheapest way to invest in index funds. And those are another quanta increase of mm-hmm. difficulty over TDE series. Mm-hmm. And uh, some early people reading the book, uh, early versions of the book were saying, well, why are you focusing on these three? Because there are cheaper options than tangerine. So mm-hmm. like ETFs are the cheapest. TDE series is the next cheapest. Those make sense. Yeah. But then RBC has index funds that are cheaper than tangerine and right. national bank has index funds that are cheaper than tangerine. So why are you jumping to tangerine now? And I'm going, well, all these other ones are just as difficult to invest in as TDE series. So you're not getting any of the complexity benefit. Right. Um, and you're just paying a little bit more. So, you know, I'm just going to focus on TDE series. Yeah, it makes sense. The too. same sort of lessons will apply if you really are loyal to Royal Bank or National or yeah. whatever bank you happen to be with. You can invest in their index funds and yeah. it's going to be pretty much the same as how TDE is described in the book. But then Tangerine, you're paying that extra cost over some of those other mutual funds, but you get the benefit of simplicity. So it's the value of simple. That's what you're paying for. Uh. And I try to also <laughs> work that in very subtly through the book about going and getting help. Mm-hmm. Uh, I am a do-it-yourself investor. Mm-hmm. I'm an advocate for people doing things themselves, but you can't do everything yourself mm-hmm. all the time. And totally. so there's definitely times when you want to go talk to a planner and pay for a plan yeah. and get that done professionally and do it when it gives you value. So if you're paying these high MERs on mutual funds sold through like bank branches or big mutual fund companies, you're paying that every year and you're not getting a plan drawn up every year. You're not getting hand holding all the time. Mm-hmm. So it doesn't really make sense to do it that way. Instead, I prefer cutting those costs, those ongoing costs of the bone and then paying for it when you need it. Yep. Um, and then that might also bring us into the fee only directory that I'm yes. trying to put together. So, so yeah, I noticed on your blog, which I think is a great idea that you kind of drew up a list of some of the fee only advisors and coaches, mentors, whatever you want to call it. Um, you know, so people, if they're looking for a, you know, money coach or investment coach, here's a list of people that do it. Um, and you were one of them. <laughs> yeah. I, I put myself at the bottom. Of I, just, list I didn't see that. I'm like, Oh, I see you didn't put yourself yeah. at the top. Very nice. Very subtle. <laughs> so yeah. How did you get interested in like, where did this come from? Cause it is a, a kind of, 
you know, next step. And it's definitely something that I'm interested in personally that I might pursue, um, not for investments, but just money coaching. So how, uh, did you kind of get into that? And I, I'm curious, like how, how is it, how's it going? <laughs> well, it actually started uh, long before I wrote the book. Mm-hmm. So back in grad school, uh, grad students have the stereotype of being poor for a reason because mm-hmm. it's true. It's true. And yeah. so we School's often look expensive. for little side jobs to do. Uh-huh. Uh, and I'm also out there trying to help my friends again with this investing mm-hmm. stuff. So you know, I'm throwing these books at them and they're still not quite getting like, how do I invest? And so yeah. I'm helping some of them out and, you know, here's how you set up the account, sitting with them while they're on the phone with the reps and transferring funds in kind and all this nonsense. And then they're like, you know, this is a great service and nobody is offering this little mm-hmm. precise niche is how to get set up as a do-it-yourself investor. It's mm-hmm. everyone that's out there that's providing these uh, services are doing it so that they can continue to provide those services on an ongoing basis. Mm-hmm. Um, so I set up a little kind of side business and very part-time, like mm-hmm. I'm not doing this. I have a career outside yeah, of exactly. being a DIY investing coach. Yeah. Uh, so just do it from time to time, a couple weekends, a couple evenings here and there with a couple of clients who need just this level of service so they yeah. can kind of get off the ground, figure out how to use their spreadsheets and set them up to track everything, mm-hmm. figure out how to open an account and get it funded and actually do the transaction without actually having the advice component to it because they're figuring it out on their own. Mm-hmm. I'm just saying, here's how the mechanics work. Now, exactly. At one point I was calling it investment technical support. Yes, <laughs> so, that's a perfect way to put it, definitely. Yeah. So I was doing that and uh, I was seeing the same sorts of issues kind of come up as I was helping clients and that's what led me to write the book. So I was trying to make myself obsolete with the book and in some <laughs> respects I think I have been successful with that because a lot of people are kind of reading the book and getting up and running and started. Mm -hmm. Uh, And on the flip side, I've also kind of raised my profile by putting a book out there. And so now I'm still getting about the same number of clients. That's very nice. And I think it's so important. Um, I kind of wish, yeah, someone, you know, back when I was just getting started, I could turn to and be like, listen, I don't understand this, this and this. Can you just help me and guide me through it? I'm pretty sure that would have saved me like, years (laughs) years <laughs> and a lot of time. Um, so that's awesome that you're doing that and that you're helping people, you know, just figure out investment and, and take the complexity out of it. And I think that's the the hardest thing about, you know, investing. Lots of people don't even want to go there. And I used to be like that myself. I'm, I'm definitely a lot less scared of it than I used to be. But I think a lot of people are like, well, I'm, I'm good with, you know, just learning about saving and um, budgeting and, and kind of the basics. But when it comes to investing, eh, okay, I'll, I'll just maybe put a little bit in mutual funds and then I'll just leave it. And I don't know, it's just not my kind of forte. So I don't want to, you know, people are just, I think, afraid of um, the unknown and just the risk. Because yeah, if you, yeah. you know, pick up the Globe and Mail, it's, you know, kind of scary. Yes, exactly. <laughs> you read that, uh, the investment section of that paper and like, oh gosh. So I can see how you can help a lot of people. Yeah. And, uh, you know, going back to talking about just picking up mutual funds, that's a common way to go, especially uh, for those people that just kind of think about investing for the span of a couple hours right before RSP season when they're just trying to grab a uh, tax return mm-hmm. refund on, on the, their RSP contributions. And then you end up with, you know, the what was uh, 
the clever term that someone gave it, advisor six pack or something like that, <laughs> advisor two, four in many cases yeah. where you just pick up a different fund every year. And then you've just got this hodgepodge of stuff that that's in your portfolio and, yeah. and you know, trying to make sense of why any of it's there. Yeah. Uh, you know, years down the road, especially when some of it starts to get, get into trouble, you're like, should I hold this? Should I dump it? I don't even know why it's there in the first place. So mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. You know, it becomes quite difficult. Yeah. One thing that I, I just popped into my head when I was reading it, because it was something like, oh, I need to write this down so I can talk to Josh, my husband, about this. Is uh, so, like, we, you know, have investments in a couple different areas. Um, and we're interested in, in trying out index investing because right now we just do mutual funds. But um, one of the things you talk about in your book is just you know, writing things down and tracking things. And I think that's something that lots of, it's a step that lots of people miss because you don't know if you're doing well or not well, unless you really look at the data and break it down like that. So I don't know. Do you want to kind of talk about like what kind of, you know, once you've kind of figured out, okay, I'm going to do this, what, what kind of tips would you have for people to, you know, maintain, I guess? Well, it depends on your personality and what you want to do, get out of it too. Mm-hmm. So if you're not someone who likes to track and you don't like spreadsheets, uh, one of the beautiful things about RSPs and TFSAs, your registered accounts, is you don't have to track it. The mm-hmm. government will track it for you. Yeah, that's true. Uh, you don't have to track anything to report it on taxes. Um, so you just kind of throw some money in there, buy some funds, and let them grow over the years. And then when you draw it, you deal with whatever amount you have in cash to withdraw. And that's about it. And that's a great way to go. And with the TFSA and RSP combined, mm-hmm. most people have enough tax sheltered room that they'll never need to worry about a non-registered account. Yeah. So uh, many people these days can just invest completely sheltered accounts. And yeah. that's, I'm implying young people are starting out. Mm-hmm. Uh, older boomers who kind of have big non-registered portfolios aren't going to be able to cram that into the TFSA yeah. that's only a couple years old. But by the time we're older, our mm-hmm. TFSAs will have grown along with us and likely be sheltering everything. So there's no need to be tracking. Mm-hmm. On the other hand, if you're someone who wants to be an active investor, then you know it's really incumbent on you to track your active investing because unless you're getting entertainment value out of it, yeah. if you're not outperforming the indexes, then what are you doing it for? Yeah. So you can index invest extremely easily. It only takes a couple minutes or hours per year yeah. to get Which everything set up and running. Awesome. Uh, you can automate almost all parts of it. Mm-hmm. So then it just kind of runs in the background and you don't have to dedicate thought cycles to it. It just happens and then mm-hmm. you get to retirement and you go, oh, look, I've got this nest egg. I'm fine. Mm-hmm. And, uh, mm-hmm. you know, it takes the stress out of your life. But if you are someone who likes to track, then yeah, you can set up some spreadsheets. You can use Quicken. There's a bunch of tools out there mm-hmm. and you can see how you're doing. Yeah. So um, kind of uh, wrapping up, I am just curious what, um, what kind of maybe just one or two tips or pieces of advice what would you tell someone who is, you know, someone like me, who's like a millennial in their twenties that is just starting out. Um, and what, you know, who hasn't invested or is, but is thinking about it. And I'm curious, what kind of advice would you give for someone who's maybe in their later thirties or forties that is just getting into this as well? Would your advice, I, I'm going to say you're probably getting different kind of pieces of advice or, or the same. No, it'd be, it'd be pretty much the same. Um, it's not until you start getting closer to retirement in my mind that you're going to really change that advice up much. Mm-hmm. So while you're in your accumulation years, you're just going to focus on finding some reasonable balance. And one thing I'm going to talk about with reasonable balance mm-hmm. is that there's really very few precise splits in yeah. uh, investing because 
all of it relates to what's going to happen in the future. And we don't know what's going to happen in the future. Mm -hmm. We've got some idea based on what happened in the past, but we can always be surprised. Mm -hmm. So I'm very suspicious when people say that their asset allocation is precise down to two decimal figures of percentage. Like it it will be when you just divide what you currently have, but as to what you're planning for, it's kind of silly to get that precise. So, Mm -hmm. you know, I'm thinking hazy ranges, just get something that's good enough and then get off to the races and go, and get back to the rest of your life. Yeah, exactly. And so. you definitely um, kind of hammer home in the book, which I, I totally agree with because this is, you know, no brainer. If you are just starting out and you want to, you know, invest, but, you know, have your money tax sheltered, do the TFSA first. Yeah. So uh, the RSP can work better for people depending on various circumstances. So the RSP and TFSA pretty much always went out over non-registered investing. Mm -hmm. And the exception is for people who are very low income. Right. And in that case, a non-registered account is likely to work out better for them than an RSP. Mm -hmm. In particular, because if they continue to be low income through their years, uh, then the RSP will lead to clawbacks of guaranteed income supplement in retirement. Uh, So if you're under, you know, rough numbers, $30,000 in income, Mm -hmm. then focus on your TFSA. And then if you have more to invest, you're non-registered. But if you're at that level of income, it's not likely that you're going to have more than you can fill your TFSA with. Exactly. Uh, And then otherwise, yeah, use your RSP, use your TFSA. Uh, I like to say TFSA first because you can always change it later because the TFSA is so flexible, you can take it back out. Uh, So when you run the math and see whether you're going to get more benefit out of the RSP versus the TFSA, then you can fix that later. Mm -hmm. But don't get hung up on trying to optimize that. Like, Mm -hmm. go ahead, just use the TFSA for now. And when you eventually get around to hiring a planner for a more detailed plan or sitting down and devoting, you know, a couple hours or a day to making a more detailed plan yourself, you can run the math and figure out which one's better and then move into the RSP if that's what you want to do. Awesome. Well, thank you so much for joining me today. Thanks for having me, Jess. You're welcome. And again, thank you for listening to episode 25 of the Mo Money podcast. Make sure to check out John's website, holypotato.net, for all of his blog posts about personal finance, investing, and his life. And of course, the show notes for this episode, you can find at momoneymohouses.com slash 25. Thank you again for listening. Make sure to give me your feedback in the form of an iTunes or Stitcher review. And I look forward to seeing you next Wednesday. Stay. My episode is going to be with Rachel from Adventures in Mobile Homes, and we're going to be talking about mobile home investing, something I had no idea about, but we get into all of the nitty gritty next Wednesday. This podcast is distributed by the Women in Media Podcast Network. Find out more at womeninmedia.network.